I get it. He drives a Lincoln. Bye. So how's everybody doing? What's uh, What's been going on since the last time we were together? Same for me. Same for you? Today's a little gloomier, which... There's I, weather in L.A. I feel, I feel smarter today. It's a little... I feel comforted Pensive. By, by the weather. Yeah, they couldn't just give me some sunshine on my last week in L.A.? Is nope. that too much to ask for? My week's been great. I've been just in free at work for like two weeks now. How does that feel? Like a big weight off of my shoulder. I'm no. sure everybody's just running around with their heads chopped off ever <laughs> since I've been gone. <laughs> There's a little of that too. <laughs> Has anyone figured out their Halloween costumes yet? Mm, maybe. Do you guys still do Halloween? It started anew for me. My kid is going to be Luke Skywalker. So. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And he knows Luke Skywalker? We watched all the Star Wars movies, A New Hope, Empire Strikes Back, and Return of the Jedi. We watched them this past month when he turned five. I was hoping you'd convince him to be like a little Polly Walnuts or something. <laughs> In time, my youngest one actually was watching me when I was doing homework for the podcast. He was paying a lot of attention to the laptop. Mm-hmm. which had Tony, Tony, the Tony and Janet scenes. He was very interested in my theory about the relationship between Janet and serpentine creatures. Hmm. Fun fact, I have never seen any Star Wars movies. <gasps> really? Not even I don't know what they are. I don't know who's what. The big caterpillar guy. Jabba the Hutt. And also, like, what's that little green one? Yoda. 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 Is that a good segue into... Is he E.T.'s uh, dad? Jabba the Hutt and Bobby Bacalari. Looks like E.T.'s dad. Oh, Jabba the Hutt and Bobby Bacala. You never see them in the same room at the same time. Yeah. Anyway, Bobby. I don't want to do that podcast. So <laughs> why haven't you seen those movies? It just it... seems so boring. Really? I don't like, and it's just... You've never had a boyfriend that was like, oh my God, we got to sit down and watch no, these No, I together? don't date those nerds, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's just weird. All of a sudden, like little bears run out. Like it's just so confusing. The Ewoks, like, there's, huh? But there's like these cool, sexy, Darth Vader-y people. Then there's like bears. So Darth Vader sex is interesting. So you like yeah, the dark, I like, you like I the like, Adam Driver I would be type. on the dark side. You um, would be on the dark side? For sure. The styling's better. Everything looks Kylo cool. Kylo Ren is the Adam Driver. He's the Darth Vader 2.0. Perfect. That's your bag? Perfect. Uh, wow. 0.5. I don't, yeah, is that good? Yeah, is, no. He's, he's, is he in it now? He's in yeah, it. Yeah, he's the. He's the the Darth Vader well, Sith disciple. He's the Sith, yeah. So you know your Star Wars language. You, oh, I'm you a just, Star Wars nerd. He just dropped Sith. He's dropping yeah. vernacular now. That's okay. cool. Yeah, so Sammy was totally flipping out. So there's one thing that you know, even if you haven't watched the movie, he dies Darth the Vader end. is Luke Skywalker's dad. I got okay, that. Luke, oh, spoiler No, but hey, try Come telling on. that to a five-year-old. Wait and see. I, I, so I, I taught him this good. word. I taught him the word complicated. He's like, I said, because their relationship's complicated. And he's like, is our relationship complicated? <laughs> I said, no, and be thankful that it's not. Yeah. But some people have complicated relationships. Which one do I start with? That's a new the whole question. A new hope. You know what? Like I, you now. know that I started one through six. I didn't watch it four, five, six, one, two, three. So growing up, you had so seen growing them. up, I didn't see it. I didn't start watching it till like two thousand and four, and then I became obsessed and I watched it all the way through. Episode three had just come out, and I was like, you know what? I'm gonna do it this way. This will be an interesting way to to watch it. And I watched it one, two, three, four, five, six. Wow! Because I already knew all of the spoil, like the all the spoilers, the, spoilers, Luke, Luke the, is, the, the big one, yeah, the big one. So. Can I start with the one with Liam Nelson? Liam yeah, Neeson. that's what I that's Liam what I did. Liam, yeah, that's perfect. Yeah. He's, you know, you have Bobby he Bacala. He's an amazing, he's an amazing Jedi in the movie. He's we have awesome. some we have some really good May the fo- what is it May the fifth and no, May the fourth May the fourth. Which is Star Wars Day. We have like a series of memes that we put out every single May the 4th for for Star Wars Day. You are listening to Pot of Bing. (laughs) Just in case you thought you hit the wrong button. A podcast that prefaces things by talking about Star Wars, but that systematically breaks down every episode of The Sopranos one at a time. Today we're talking about episode two of season two, Do Not Resuscitate. The air date was January 23rd, 2000. This episode was written by Robin Green, Mitchell Burgess, and Frank Renzulli, and it was directed by Martin Brussel, who I haven't seen yet, but he comes from the he comes from David Chase's Northern Exposure days. Um, he was involved in that show for I think sixty three or sixty five of the episodes. HBO synopsis: When black protesters start picketing, this is wait, this is the episode we're doing, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, sorry. <laughs> HBO synopsis: When black protesters start picketing a construction company that used to be under Uncle Junior's control, Tony meets with the owner, as well as the leadership of the protesters. 
to fix the problem. Meanwhile, Janice gets sucked into Livia's web. Title, DNR, do not resuscitate. As all of us know, it's a legal order to withhold life support per the special request of the patient or their power of attorney. Do you guys have any other layered meaning or messaging from the title? I was thinking of Janice trying to revive her relationship with Livia, which she shouldn't have. So that's something that she should have just pulled the plug on. I thought of when Tony was talking to Junior, too, where he said, let sleeping dogs lie. Like, don't bring it back up. Don't resuscitate what happened between us and your mother. Just move on. Yeah, I'm with you guys on both of those things, too. The thing at the end that also kind of was, I found it somewhat ironic, is that Tony was pretty much done. So he he started the episode done with Livia and done with Junior. But at the end, which we'll talk about, he carries Junior out of the house. And I feel like he was actually on the path in this episode, on the path to resuscitating both relationships. I think he definitely made amends with Junior in some way. If there are amends to be made, I think they just kind of swept it all under the rug and said, you know, this is water under the bridge. We're going to move on. With Olivia, I think it's there's a lot more going on there. Um, obviously, we, we learn everything we need to know throughout his sessions with Melfi, but he at least start, he, he starts out with saying, she's dead to me, I don't want to hear her name in this house, to finally having a full-blown conversation with Janice at the very end regarding Livia. Do you guys remember when Tony's sitting in his living room struggling with the TV? He has the aux problems, the AUX problems, and I feel like we've all been there at some point in our life when, and I, and I just thought it was fitting that the emotion of wanting to throw your TV out the window was played on the episode called Do Not Resuscitate. A little, a little reachy, but They picked that scene for this title. Uh, Quick topic A, there's two references to government in the episode. First by Tony when he says... The taxpayer foots the bill. When referring to Livia's fake sickness. Mm -hmm. So he mentions it directly. And then Junior again later when he's in the ophthalmologist's office waiting for his appointment, talking to one of the other patients... He, the patient, I think, says, he asked him about his glasses. Yeah. And the patient says, I never see the bill. And Junior says, Nice country. Yeah. I don't know if that struck a chord with either of you guys, or any of you guys, the fact that they were talking about, like, these government, I guess, welfare yeah. on this episode. Yeah. Did you happen to see anything, like, in, in January of 2000 that was going on in the real world? No. No? Okay. No. On the date of the episode airing, the Golden Globes were on, though. That was the only thing I found on that day. But you're you're saying that there was some sort of wink to the writers were American talking about society like and subsidies. I think subsidies. there's yeah. I think there's always that debate of should January we be giving people handouts? Was, that, was there an election? No. Yeah, there was an election. Well, no, well, no. it was right it's, after the, the election had already be, just happened. No, no, it's no, in no, November. It was, it was it's in November. November this year. Okay. All right. I just wanted to throw. But it's that always out a there. topic. It's always there a topic, and I think that they always make it a point. Um, later on in the series, we hear it a few times, um, people sitting on their ass collecting checks and, and they make references mm-hmm. here and there. And there's always that hypocrisy that these guys have because they're always trying to milk the system and squeeze any dollar they can out of the Tony government. Tony does the Medicare fraud thing in the pilot episode. Exactly. Which well, is why Janice seems to be a walking epitome yeah. of taking advantage of uh, disability. disability. Yeah. Exactly. So it's, it's rampant. The carpal tunnel. And Epstein Bar, <laughs> whatever that is. Um, okay, topic one, Junior. The main thing I want to get into with you guys is what is up with his persistence on making peace with Livia? He starts it at the very beginning of the episode when he's in jail, and then he ends the show by basically saying, he bookends the whole thing by saying, like, make peace with your mother. Why? I think there's three layers to it. There's just the fact that they're all Sopranos and there's their family, and Junior wants to make that right. The other layer is that it's probably having some sort of an impact on the family business because if it looks like the Sopranos crew isn't getting along and this guy's doing stuff to their, his mother and him and Junior having all of these issues, it just gives the appearance that there's like a, a lot of dysfunction. Yeah, there's a lot of dysfunction. And then there's just the, the, the gossip part of it that he wants to kind of squash, you know, uh, Philly Parisi and um, Freddie Capuano, those two guys just gossiping, you know, doesn't make the family name look good. Do we have any backstory on Freddie Capuano? 
he just gets dropped on us, right? It's there's no story to him. I don't think he's shown not in the series. Not even shown. We see his hair piece. We see his hair piece, but right. It's funny after the fact that you know that that uh, Green Grove is run by some Italian guy. Yeah, that, right. That we find that that reveal is made to us. I it made me also almost wonder: is there like an inside thing there somehow? Yeah. Sounded like Junior knows his family. So they must have been involved in some tangential way back in the day, in 1960. All the kappas suddenly moved their yeah. moms into yeah. the place. It's an easy place, low-hanging yeah. fruit. One thing that I found really interesting about this, the first scene of the episode when they're both sitting across the glass in the prison, they have like a little staring contest. Mm-hmm. And neither of them speak to each other or pick up the phone until Tony finally does. Junior one. And then junior one. And it yeah. reminds me of this episode of... Uh, the office where Daryl is asking Michael Scott for a raise and Michael looks up negotiation strategy and rule number one is, you know, don't speak first. Yeah. So then after like a long drawn out silence, Michael feels uncomfortable and he says, I decline to speak first. <laughs> <laughs> um, why doesn't Tony have Junior killed in prison? He's a lightning rod in or out of the can uh, to kill him would create confusion. So I got the feeling that Tony still needs Junior, whereas... That's not the case for Livia. So he has enough restraint because remember last season, heat of passion, he was ready to mow everybody down. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But he's showing a lot of restraint here because the two people that want him dead are still alive. I don't think he ever wanted to whack Junior. I agree. I think that Tony, in some way, knows that he was wrong for what he did to make Junior want to whack him in the first place because he was doing all these things behind Junior's back, you know, inviting all of the capos to Green Grove to have secret meetings, secret plans to have him be the real boss and just have Junior be this this figurehead that would, you know, get pinched by the FBI. So I, I think in a lot of ways he knew that he wasn't 100% in the right. And he, he has obvious, obvious feelings for Junior that extend past just a business relationship. So I think that he was looking for any way to get out of it. And he was, he was kind of saved a difficult choice by the government. Naya last, not this episode, but a couple episodes ago, Carmela tells Tony they're in the bedroom together and she says she could kill Livia with her bare hands. I think she does not with her own hands though. I think like she would maybe poison someone or something more. She would, she'd call a hit on someone and just walk away. Batali green beans. Yeah, for you sure. Think, you think she would have, she would feel comforted by the fact that Tony would make it go away. She has that backup plan. Because it's a bold statement. Uh, I don't know. I think she would get upset by it, but not be upset that it happened. Like, she'd yeah. have to pretend that she's upset. She has to put on the front. What about Janice? Okay, so there's, there's moments where Janice is staring at Livia. We're jumping ahead a little bit. But I'm just, in general, like, do you think... Well, actually, wait a minute. I'm going to answer my own fucking question. <laughs> but do you think Janice... Would I won't say, do you think Janice would kill somebody, but do you think Janice would kill her mother? Do you think that's on the table for her this episode? I think episode? it's for sure on the table, especially when she has that glimpse and she looks to the sign and Olivia's little head appears and she's falling down the stairs. Like, for me, this episode was your first layer onion talk about, like, the, how it, like, connects with the family because it's like a family reunion between Janice and her mother. They play that song, Mother and Child, you know, and that Italian song that plays is... Uh, Pavarotti. Yeah, which is Don't Forget About Me. And Junior is, he hurts his hip, he's in jail, and he cares more about the rumors and Tony making it right with his mother than anything else. So to me, this one was all about, like, the legacy, even the reverend and his father. It's like the elders passing down the respect of who goes next. Like, to me, that's what this episode was all about this time watching it for some reason. You think of, the reverend... The encounter with Tony and the Reverend helped him realize the importance of Junior. Yeah, because I mean, after that encounter, he kind of goes and rescues totally. Him. And you even literally see Junior weak, and like Tony's physically carrying him like a child. Like he has to take care of this old man in a way. And you know, the episode before, he was so mad and wanted to kill him, but you know, he's literally like cradling him like a baby, trying to help him. And even then, Junior's like, "Make it right with your mom." Yeah. So it's just to me the the heritage and the the family bond just totally outshined the family business for me on this one for some weird reason. A little junior guilt too, right guys? Like he doesn't want to potentially die with all this stuff hanging on his head. Do you think junior feels guilty about trying to kill Tony? 
I do because of the way the Bobby situation went down. He showed his humanity big time. He revealed it. And someone mentioned or some I read somewhere, one of the commenters on, I don't, I don't know anymore. Everything everything fucking blurs for yeah. me these days, guys. I, <laughs> I read it. I see it. It comes to me. But someone mentioned the idea that, uh, that Bobby inherited Junior. He says that in this episode. I inherited this guy. I always liked you. You don't need to disrespect me or whatever. But... In another life, I don't think Bobby would be in this business. Bobby was born into it, and he was, it was by circumstance that he's in it. And I feel like Junior's almost the same way. That's why Junior wasn't the boss. He was the older brother. That's why Junior wasn't running North Jersey. It was Johnny Boy. And that's why Junior never rose up, because he was a reluctant mobster. He's a lover, not a fighter. He's a lover, not a fighter. Mm-hmm. So, so Bobby would have been a, a train conductor. What <laughs> would have... Junior, Ben. I think Bobby would have been an amazing politician. He knows how to take it on the chin, <laughs> and he's self-deprecating confidence, and, you know, he's a survivor. Did, Did you guys he... know he was wearing a fat suit for season one and yeah. two? Yeah. I've known that yeah. all along, yes. Yeah. Like, I didn't know that. You didn't know that? Nuts. Yeah. He's actually not an overweight guy. He's just a big guy. And also, if you notice, as the show progresses, James Gandolfini gets bigger. Way big. And, and Bobby kind of, like, fills, grows into he it. He grows into <laughs> his body a little bit. Um. So, definitively, do we think that Junior and Tony... Bond at the end and bury the hatchet on their recent conflict? I think they do in the doctor's office. Yeah. Um, even if, you, if you go even further back, the, that first scene in the prison, the first thing Tony says is, so what's, what's all these problems I'm hearing about your heart? So he's immediately concerned for his uncle's health. Yeah. Um, I was trying to see if there's any hidden meaning. Okay, does that mean you're talking to the government? Because I know that that line has been thrown out about somebody's heart oh, giving in. Yeah. Meaning you're not your heart's not in the game or whatever. But I, I I took that as he's really just concerned about his uncle, and I don't think you know I said the same thing about Tony not wanting to or Junior Tony not wanting to retaliate. I don't think Junior ever really wanted to take it that far with Tony. I think he was goaded into it by Olivia, and he needed to do it to save face in front of her and in front of the entire family. Well, to the point that one of you guys just made, he also, maybe Tony was asking him that because he wants to make sure nothing happens to Junior because he needs the lightning rod. He's doing a little due diligence for himself. Do I need, should I have taken the FBI's offer to go on the lam? You know, I don't think that that plays as much of a factor as his truth just feelings for his uncle but justin is always blinded by the goodness in people john's a pessimist i'm an optimist so but family drama never goes away especially in an italian family so like to me it's like the baseball analogy just keeps going back and forth with them like just the temporary issues are on hold but yeah i agree he cares about junior Junior's with his lawyer um, sitting before a judge talking about whether or not he should wear an ankle bracelet, which, by the way, if you notice the name of the judge, which they made a point to show three times, and then Junior makes the comment about Nazi Germany. Nazi Germany. It's like, know your audience, guy. The lawyer (laughs) mentions there's been no arrests since 1968. This number 1968 keeps rearing its head, John. Any? I think we get a peak of that in um, Down Neck Mm. uh, when Junior gets out. That's... And then the prequel. And then the prequel, potentially, the too. Also, that same scene, the judge says, I think you need a refresh in a history lesson. And then it cuts to the next scene where Tony's talking about the History Channel, which I thought was mm. cool. There I you really, go. Well, and you really you talked about Junior not realizing who he was talking to. I think it's just the opposite. He took the opportunity to make the... Make a, a joke comment. to a Jewish judge. But, he, but you don't want to trivialize, yeah, you don't want to yeah, trivialize yeah. Nazi asshole, Germany. Yeah. Junior Soprano has never cared about the law. No, yeah, I don't doubt that he doesn't care about that guy's feelings, yeah. but I I was like, you need to get a win. You yeah, need to get a, you, exactly. It's all about getting a W, and he got the L. I like the try by by Melvoin to try to like yeah. save try to like, his thing. I don't think that we, you and I, should let our shared sorrow or biases enter into this, Judge. He's wearing a bracelet to avoid any risk of flight. All right. Vic Reach. In the ophthalmologist's office waiting room, the camera cuts to the elder man with the dark black glasses right after the exchange with Mazarone. Okay, Mazarone comes in, does his little thing, where's the bathroom, gets up, cuts to the guy with the glasses. Okay? To me... This played in contrast to Junior's earlier mention of the fact that the feds can't bug doctors' offices. My reach to you guys that I want to submit to you today is he may be right, 
but it doesn't mean they can't install secret agents in waiting rooms to observe and report. It was a red herring that they showed that guy, and I'm just saying that someone in that room, someone in that waiting room, was there to listen to Junior's conversation with Bobby. Because we listened to Bobby and Junior go back and forth about glasses, about how he looks, and then about the untimely or the, uh, the politically incorrect joke. And so I'm just asking if you guys, or even if there's even an ounce of credibility to my reach. Is that paranoia or is it a reach? That you think there was an FBI agent? Because the camera cuts right I think it him. does, it's very conspicuous the way that they cut to that guy and he's just staring straight. But at the same time, he probably is legally blind. So I don't think there's anything to that. I think it was a comedic move. Yeah. It was, no, it was funny like, as hell. To, what's the best, best place to uh, pass on an envelope? Is that a place with a bunch of blind people? It was like... Yeah, no, like, yeah, I'm totally too. with you. I, it just, it's the frame choice. They cut to him right after the scene. Someone's watching is my point. Yeah. But at, a, at an ophthalmologist's office where everybody's old and conceivably blind... It's just there's a there's many layers to that. I thought my in that same scene there's a painting in the back. This is for your paint reference, which I thought was peculiar that it was a horse, like a couple horses with colonels or like generals, very similar to the painting mm. we meet later with mm. General Soprano. But all the horses' backs are to us, so they're not looking out at us. So to me, and it's a room of blind people, some of them, where I was like, who is leading? Who? And, like, is Junior still making the decisions? Whose job is it? Like, this whole Masseron construction shit, all the mess. Like, it was just interesting. It was, it's literally a painting of horses' butts, and everyone's facing the opposite way. And I've just thought, like, that's a bizarre painting to put on. Oh, I agree. Like, horse blinders, too? Yeah, well, it was like, we, we, like, who's the general? It's a very weird thing with horses and leading. Who's the captain here? And it's, like, a little bit blurred, and then he's out of jail now, he's back in the mix, but the horses aren't facing, like, it's a weird painting, like, horses' butts, and all the the people riding them aren't looking at us either. Everyone's backs to us. Just what I noticed for you. I love that I'm rubbing off on you. Yeah, I was <laughs> like, ooh, I'm gonna write that down. I don't know, like, Vic looks like a proud parent <laughs> over here. I feel like issuing you one of those trophies from, uh, what's the name of the Wobistics company of their brokerage? Do we know yet? I don't know, but it should just be like a hand reaching out <laughs> Vicarage trophy. That would be great. You just get, get the uh, hand, like a little What hand. emoji can it be? What emoji can it the Vicarage be? It should be like be? a hand. There's got to be a reach emoji. Yeah. We'll find it. But it's the same color palette as a lot of the other Renaissance horse paintings. You cannot, you can, <laughs> I could talk to you, but we could talk about this for an hour. It's okay? amazing. And the it's blind guy, you know. It's intentional. Totally. There's a ton of irony being in an ophthalmologist's office, number one. It's right after Junior mentions the fact that you can't be bugged. They can't be bugged, it's true, but it doesn't mean that you can't have someone sitting there. That's all I'm saying. And I know it's probably not going to come out to like rear its head, but everybody is, well, everybody should be highly suspicious at this point. We do see Yes, this come come to light later yes. on. So and um, and Skip, we're going to talk about Skip in a few minutes. Skip was in the waiting room. Yeah, yeah. He, again, when they're in when they're in the scene when they're in public, they're observing and reporting. Yeah. That's their job, man. They're putting that shit on three hundred twos. I love. There's a lot of scenes in waiting rooms. Waiting rooms is a funny metaphor. It's the show. We're just yeah. waiting. Yeah, we as the as the viewer are we're just waiting for shit to happen. And ma- many times it often doesn't happen. Okay. Uh, let's move on to the black protest. You guys can talk about other parts of this that interested you, but I'm mostly interested in the Tony and Reverend collusion. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Can anybody break that down? What was the deal that Tony yeah. struck with the Reverend? So it's it's pretty pretty smart on Tony's part. So to take it a step back, in that scene, Tony gave Junior the Joint Fitters Union. Mm. which is the work that Junior has with Masseron Construction Company, Jack Masseron. So him and Jack Masseron and Junior already have something going on together. And Tony, on the side, decides to say, to do a deal with the Reverend, to to have a protest that will... A staged protest. A staged protest that will warrant Jack Masseron to reach out to Tony because Junior's incapacitated, to reach out to Tony and then to basically hire Tony, pay him money to have some of his goons come and make life a little difficult for them. And the scene you're referring to is when Tony's doing the walk and talk with Jack Masserone and he's asking for help. Exactly. That was because of what Tony had orchestrated with the Reverend. Exactly. 
And Can see, we confirm that though? Yeah, I, that's yeah. what they confirmed that at the very, the very end. At the very end, I wasn't says, sure if he was paying for him to stop or if he was paying him to start and then stop both. this rally. Okay, so both, it was both. He's paying. Tony was double dipping on both Tony's ends. giving Reverend half of the Jack Masseron cut to do the protest. Three two. Yeah, three two is the deal. Well, they didn't. They, they didn't. didn't, they didn't and he does oh, ask for the um, about a, a future job too. So it sounds like they're asbestos. playing the same right, game. Yeah, they're, they're playing the same game. But um, if this is Tony's play, and that's why I'll throw it back, why does uh, the guy have leverage on Tony? Like, he gets to decide. Who has what leverage the split on Tony? On the, um, oh, the Reverend. Because he, his ass is on the line because his protesters don't know that he's, he's in on it. Yeah. Right. So if the protesters find out that the, the Reverend is getting paid by Tony Soprano, they're going to go after the Reverend. And they don't know that the reverend is double dipping. They think he's like an altruistic figure who's basically advocating on their behalf. And this is something that I didn't get for a long time. That's so why I'm, I'm, I'm glad too. that we're, we're, it's a very, we're talking about it's this. It's very complex, but it's so throwaway because the show, again, goes back to this notion that the show really respects the viewer. And um, if you care enough, you'll figure it the fuck out. Yeah. Like that's what, and that's what we're doing. But it's very savvy every chance they get the Tony side, you want to double dip, you yeah. want to take from both ends, and you want to play everybody. And they use the line in the show, which is beautiful. Uh, Skip says it, you want to play the middle. And that's exactly what Tony's doing. He's playing this side and he's playing this side and they're both converging in the middle. And he ends up being the beneficiary. Thank you, Justin, for Clearing clarifying that. that. I just noticed Chrissy's Fila jacket. and He wasn't wearing Nike. <laughs> it was so cool. And when Tony was talking to Masseron, I liked that he said, make sure you weren't followed here. Right. Which I, I know he's paranoid always, but I thought it was an interesting thing he says. You got to talk about that sweater, Naya, that he's wearing when he's talking I mean, to Masseron. Did he lose a bet? It's did, so Did good. James Gandolfini lose a bet? That's a sweater Carmelo bottom. It looks like he's leaving TGI Fridays, too. Yeah. <laughs> but that sweater was distracting. Am I wrong? Am I alone yeah, was, on that? It, yeah. It was... <laughs> I wasn't paying attention You weren't paying attention But I thought it was interesting. Sorry. It may be just a coincidence that he says, make sure you weren't followed here to him. But I thought, thinking about future stuff. I was like, oh, there's lots of things happening. But the Fila jacket was my favorite. That's what I took from I really enjoyed the scene where uh, Chip and Dale are out on the fields oh, and they yeah. accidentally say hello to Tony and uh, <laughs> Lilo Brancato's character's line is hilarious. He's like, and now we look like assholes or whatever. Yeah, it was. now we look like jerk offs. <laughs> now we look like jerk offs. Every, <laughs> every turn that they have to try to impress Tony ends up backfiring. They're, they're, they're both such dopes. And it comes right after Tony was telling Pussy in a really interesting scene yeah. where he's like, You can't get nobody good anymore. They're on fucking drugs or, or they're compromised with the law or they're young, they don't listen to orders. Please. It's funny, he inadvertently described respectfully Everybody. like Chris, Everyone in his crew. Pussy, and the two guys. Yeah, Pussy's reaction was, again, guilt-stricken. I actually sympathize with him, and, and a lot of uh, your <clears throat> fans and a lot of the Pot of Bing fans are like, fuck him, but he actually, he's trying to make the best of a bad situation. Yeah. He knows there's no out for him. He yeah. knows the end game is going to be, it's going to end up hurting him the most. Yeah. And, and he, does, he does shovel shit to the FBI, um, but he's in, he made his bed. He has to, he has to lay in it. Yeah. But I actually do feel even after all these years, it's cringeworthy watching him. Cause it's, you're basically watching a dead man walking. This is the dead man walking. Who feels the most alive. And you're taking it to me. Let's move on. If it's okay with you guys to pussy. Segue yeah. to pussy. The big reveal is finally made. All of us viewers have been waiting for this moment. It took us. 15 episodes to corroborate it. Pussy is indeed an FBI informant. When he's laying on his back, like Naya just mentioned, he screams for Skip. He doesn't scream for his wife. He doesn't scream for his kid. He screams for Skip. Who the fuck is Skip? Okay, we find out moments later in the car when they're driving. Skip says a very telling line. You've been a lot tits since 98. Which to me, Ouch. and you guys, obviously yeah. signals that he's been in on it. He's been a rat since before the show even yep. started. Yep. Wild. Okay. Um, just general thoughts, impressions, reactions to this revelation when you see it now, when you saw it the first time. Yeah, we, we know that he's been in on it since the second we meet him and before. So that's that's what I take from it. And it's funny, that's such a throwaway throw line, mm. but it's so monumental in understanding that character from day one. 
Well, you fast forward to that Santa Claus suit yeah, episode where the crew discovers it. But I, I just start going back, and I almost want to start it all over again, mm-hmm. specifically to look out for Pussy and what he knows about Tony and what Tony's doing. Because if that's the case, you would think the FBI would have enough on Tony to lock him away forever. Right, uh, true. And, and Pussy's no saint during that time period either. He's responsible for murder. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so how much did he keep from the FBI? Maybe he was like... Skip said he's playing the no, middle. He, well, he was. Yeah. We know that because one thing that's really interesting, the first thing Skip asks Tony is, or Skip asks Pussy is, have you seen Tony yet? And yeah. he says, no, I haven't seen him yet. But we know in the first episode he has. So he's already lying to the FBI about his contact with Tony. But I took right. that as, was it a time shift? Was that no, a I, scene before uh pussy went to tony's house before episode one of season yeah, two that's yeah. what i kind of thought you, you no think i think it it's in chronological order i think it's episode one happened episode two happened and that's that's the time frame it's conceivable i don't think he's like a parole officer where he's checking in with pussy every day for like debriefings but even if even if he was you can't you can't yeah. you can't because he's, he's in a really like interesting position where he has to be you, sufficiently insulated so exactly. that there's no suspicion exactly the more you hang out with an fbi person by association, the more guilty you're going to be when you meet. When I, if I'm hanging out with your arch nemesis Naya, and then you come over at six thirty, and I'm like sitting with you, and I'm like, so like, how are things going? Yeah. It's, I'm going to have yeah. guilt on my face. Yeah, you know. Do so. you think? Because one something I noticed this time watching Skip to me appears as someone that looks like they could be in the mob. Like he just yeah. physically looks like he would be mm-hmm. seen with someone like Pussy. Do you think that's deliberate? Yeah, with yeah. the FBI, yeah. they chose him specifically for that reason. Looks and talks. Yeah. Well. They, on, they we'll employed a lot of um, yeah. Italian-Americans yeah. on that. Grasso. Yeah. Uh, we'll see later on, too, Danielle, you know, yeah. with Adriana. Chicoletta. And, 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 and they try it. They try it. Then they, then they go a little more buttoned up later on. But you, for boots on the ground, you have to sell it. Yeah. You know? Cool. Um, into that. I have a question about the conversation that they have in the car yeah. where he mentions about Jimmy Altieri uh, taking a pill for pussy. Yeah. Does that insinuate that they got the wrong guy and that Jimmy maybe wasn't the rat because they don't confirm at that point that take the pill means he was a rat or he made you think it was a rat. Yeah, I don't think it's mutually exclusive. I think he could have taken Pussy's place as the person that's going to get whacked for being the rat, but he could have also still have been the rat. And I think we've talked about this so much last season. Like all of... You know, there's no definitive answer that we get, but it's pretty obvious if you look at all the clues, especially in the final scene where he gets where he gets taken out. He doesn't even try to deny it. He doesn't even yeah. try to deny it. He he ex- he. Once they, it. once he gets called a rat, he accepts his fate and he just says "Mother of God" or or something like that. But it does raise the ambiguity question, John, because it could it be, it, to me, it, it means that two things are at play. Um, and I framed it in the form of a question for you guys too. Like, did they say that because, like you said, they got the wrong guy and it was a nice w- way for Pussy to be safe, but also the more like cynical and Vic Reach Vic came out and was like, do you guys think that the FBI put it in play to keep the strength of their case against Puss? In other words, do you think that they found a guy to fall on, their, on his sword. They, they used Jimmy as a way to keep pussies scaffolding intact and they let, they let someone take, it, take one for the team, so to speak. Do you understand what I'm asking? I do, I do. Did, yeah. they, did they put the Jimmy murder into play to keep pussy How in? would How it's would like they put opening. that into play without him having contact with the FBI? How right. would that even have been a possibility, right? It's true. So I, I think that... We, just watching those couple of episodes, seeing Jimmy go and ask these specific questions about money and thing that, things that they have already talked about, when everybody knows that you just don't talk about these things, it's obvious that he was he was a rat. Does anybody disagree? I agree. No, I, I, I totally right? think he's a rat. You yeah. think he's a rat too right yeah. now? Yeah. John? Yeah, I'm still in the rat camp. I just thought it was... 
an interesting choice of words that yeah. still keep the question. Yeah. The other thing that Skip could have been doing is he could have been telling Pussy that just to keep Pussy at bay because Pussy looked highly stressed out on the that's phone what, call. That's that's how I took it was that, hey, this guy bit the bullet for you. Now you're clear. Now go get information for us. That's and, the way I took it. Yeah, like come back now. It's safe. Yeah. And I feel like this is a great question to ask the Louis Lombardi, the actor who played yeah. Skip. Yeah. Um, you know, like if there's any if they get any context they can provide. You guys cool to move on to Janice and Livia? Yes, please. All right. Okay, so there's a lot going on with Janice and Livia. Janice, we think she has some ulterior motive. Livia flat out just calls her out on it and says, you want my house. Reactions, thoughts to that. How did Livia know, first of all? It's from AJ saying... Do not resuscitate. She says that she's after the fact. That's after that's that happens after. Which, by the Mm. way, let's since you brought that up, AJ is the mechanism to screw everything up. The first time, the first time he did this was he tells her about the therapy, and now he does it again with the DNR. Um, But before he says that, she's on to Janice. What was Janice's tell? What was Janice's just being there? What are you seeing happening? Being there now. What peculiar timing to come back. I mean, of course, her mother's sick, but, I mean, she tells the nurse, a black nurse, and we know Olivia isn't probably the most friendly to anyone, let alone a little lovely black lady. But she says she's going to leave all her money to the nurse. Maybe she's joking, and she tells a story about Janice selling her shoes to go buy amphetamines. And, like, you changed your name. You got out of here as fast as you could for me. I just, she just doesn't trust her. I think she doesn't believe her daughter has any good intentions whatsoever. I love the line where she says, You don't know what goes through this mind of mine. Well, that's for fucking oh, sure. Someday, I hope you have children of your own and they treat you like this. I, I gave my life to my children on a silver platter. This is bullshit. Yeah. She was on fire this episode, even with the, with the staircase the picture mm-hmm. of her, the look on Livia's face while she's talking. It was very, you know, she reminded me of like the the mother in Psycho. Yeah. She could have been an amazing Psycho mother. <laughs> oh, but she absolutely. She would have crushed it. That's probably part of the inspiration for the character, I would have to assume. Totally. It's interesting to see Janice do things that I saw, wow, you are, uh, Tony took, learned so many things from Janice. Like when Janice manipulates Olivia in some moments with the music and makes her feel sentimental. Like some of the same tactics that I feel like I see Tony use or choose to do, you could really see how they're related in some ways of how they know how to like flip a mood so quickly to people if they really want to. You mentioned the music. Soprano's autopsy noticed, noted this. Did you guys catch the scorpion ring on her finger when she's holding Livia's hand? I yeah. did. That's... I did a deep dive trying to figure out if she was a Scorpio. Did uh, you find anything? No, I couldn't figure out her uh, birthday. But it, it led me... Do you guys remember that uh, story about the scorpion and the frog? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like a I scorpion asks a frog to carry it across the river. Story time with John. <laughs> yeah. Story time with John. The, the frog hesitates, afraid of being stung, but the scorpion argues that if they did so, they'd both drown. Uh, and considering this, the frog agrees. But midway across the river, the scorpion does indeed sting the frog dooming them both, and when the frog asks the scorpion why, the scorpion replies that it was in his nature to do so. And that whole, like, reach to Olivia, like, I'm here to help you, and I'm not going to do anything, like, ill will, but ultimately, like, it could be the doom of both of them with her malintention of, yeah, you know? Like, what do you expect with Janice? That's yeah. in her nature. Yeah, I mean, yeah. look at her mother. It's like, it's like was, was that looking in a mirror in a weird you, way. Like? I like it. I like, I like that she likes the DeCastro sisters versus the and- Anders sisters. That was cool to me. Because the Anders sisters were a very popular sister-girl group back then, and the DeCastro sisters were a less famous one, hmm. which I thought was interesting. When they're listening to Pavarotti, she mentions the line, which I thought was subtle but interesting. She says, Did you bring it? never forgot how much you liked a good tenor. And the show is called The Sopranos. I don't know if there's anything there, but it, it, it kind of felt like the writers got a little bit of a chuckle for when sure. they dropped that line. Because she was married to a soprano, but she always preferred a good tenor. That's hilarious. 
This is the first time we hear her say something bad about Johnny Boy, too. She's well, she's, so she's she says you didn't know. So you don't know what kind of a man your yeah. father was. Oh, I hope we get to find out in the prequel. Do, do you have any sense of what she's talking about? Like, what, what does she mean by that? What is she getting at? I don't know. I mean, I, it starts to unravel in a very strange way. And, like, it's very common to change. My mom makes up or says the wrong names all the time. And a lot of it is just the names are different. Like, she calls AJ, Johnny, and, you know, Janice, other people. But... I don't know. I think we don't know how hard it must have been to be married to Johnny Boy. And there's some things that maybe we don't, I don't know. I'm I, not sure. Yeah, I think she's just complaining to complain and trying yeah. to do a, a whole woe is me routine. And then she forgets that her other routine is to say that Johnny's a saint. Was a saint. So yeah. then she got her wires crossed and she kind of had a little short circuit and went went from one way of trying to get sympathy to another of playing like the the beaten housewife going to the depressed widow. Uh, beautifully put, and I love that you managed to squeeze in a short circuit reference, too. <laughs> <laughs> that song, that the Pavarotti song, it translates to Don't Forget About Me, which is very much all Olivia keeps saying, like, don't forget me, like, I'll forget me when I'm dead to Meadow. Like, take this so in case you don't remember me. Well, which I thought was interesting. mistakes, um, it goes back to this reoccurring question of whether she's faking it or not. Yeah. And... There's a lot of chatter online about her specific missteps in the names. Like she refers to a lot of people in the past uh, with current people. And I was going to throw it at Dr. Justin while we still have him on the chair. Mm. Um, this in, is out of my wheelhouse. In all, Alzheimer's, is it, uh, do you regress into the past? I've read some things that that is a symptom. Well, Alzheimer's, that's a completely different. Oh. It would seem, I would guess, yes. I think so. I don't know. Also, Epstein-Barr is like mono. It's a virus. Oh. Yeah, that's okay. That's why she's lazy and tired all the time, Janice. That explains it. You know, I mentioned the Short Circuit movie reference. You know, Johnny Five. That was the name of the robot in Short Circuit. <laughs> and she's talking about Johnny. Johnny was a saint. I'm just saying. Okay? Ding. Benjamin. My friend. Oh, my God. Number Johnny Five. Are you completely operational? 100% intact? Perfectly KO. Keep that power on or I'll beat the living headlights out of you. Oh, but I've got such a headache. Number Johnny Five, you had me so worried. Oh, pardon me. Love that movie. They painted. They found an Indian guy, and they it was a white guy, but they painted brown face on him. <laughs> you wouldn't love it if your name was Johnny find. growing up, though, because uh, I remember getting Johnny Five. I also just want to point out how much food is on the table during these dinner scenes. They have like I'm from an Italian family, so there is always way too much food. But they had chicken cutlets, macaroni and cheese salad and a side of rice on on one whole table like the only one that was eating that scene i watched it too was tony yeah, tony, was tony was the only one taking bites yeah. the girls were just swirling their spoons around yeah. yeah um in general like italian family dinner like is that do you, is it excess yes in um in, um in the american way i would think everything comes on the table in italy it's portioned out like you do antipast uh, yes and then you do the meat then you do the pasta then you do the salad like it's a very interesting order but here it's just like all on the table so it looks ridiculous and like a smorgasbord yeah like there's white there's rice and it's just what chicken cutlets wasn't it you that had read that uh a lot of the characters like james candolfini would eat in every scene and they'd have to refill his plate yeah the like food you, set designer food like hated set. it because everyone would eat everything <laughs> well can you imagine like if you even if like so when i talked to bruce the email colar mm -hmm. He said, like, the thing that I remember in the back was all the food. Like, even if you're, like, or if you're not a regular on the show, there was always food, and it was available for you to, like, consume. Italians. Leftovers. And care. the casseroles and the ziti and everything. I just shot a music video in Rome with an Italian production company uh, a couple weeks ago while I was there, and they were more concerned about where they're going to unload the catering than any of the stunts or any of the other stuff we did. They were just like, where, sh where should we... Where should we unload the food? That's interesting. It was wild. And like the, they had an espresso little machine everywhere we went, like for every new location. They just, where, where should we put the food? It was their first priority. And thank God, because we were all fed and happy. Do they siesta in Italy like they do in Spain? 
Yes. Where like businesses shut down at oh, like really? three or yeah, four o'clock and then reopen at like nine mm-hmm. or ten. Hmm. I need man, that. Europe, man. Our culture right. is interesting. Yeah. You know? Just put it all on the table, get it over with. Yeah. Everybody's got somewhere to be, but it's really just to stare at your device. Anyway, sorry. Also, Jana smokes weed. The room was 420. Did anyone see that? No. Wow. Oh, nice. Wow. Nice. Yeah, nice. And, she thinks it sh- and she thinks it should be legal, too. She, she was ahead of her time. Mm-hmm. She took Meadow to drive her <laughs> to her drug <laughs> yeah. deal. It's like, that's ant of the year. Yeah. It's my aunt. That's aunt Parker. Well, it should man. be legal. Yeah. It is legal, isn't it? Is it? Legal. it is legal. Well, it is. It's legal in California. It's just not federally legal. That's the, that's the hang-up. still frowned upon. Um, Bobby. Bobby Bacilieri, the last man standing. The last man standing, which is interesting. I didn't even know what that meant until I looked it up in the research. He is considered to be Junior's number one guy. Um, At least he definitely is now. He, everyone, yeah, definitely everyone else is, is now, gone. Yeah. So he was there. He was one of his captains. He has a great line. To the victor belongs to spoils. To which Tony has an even better line. It's a brilliant fucking line with his feet up and all of his guys watching him. <laughs> Why don't you get the fuck out of here before I shove your quotations book up your fat fucking ass? Just an amazing, 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 amazing scene. Let's talk, Bobby. What are your initial impressions of him and what he brings to the show going forward? He just seems like a nice guy. Yeah. He seems like a do-no-harm type guy, someone... You don't really have to worry about losing his temper. He he just wants to get along with everybody. A very uh, I don't I don't know if I'm articulating the right word, but he just just somebody who isn't going to cause any trouble. Yeah, we we later find out he's the only one that doesn't have a guma, so I feel like he's just a little bit more sensitive and like maybe just you know he's a, he's an emotional guy, and not that the other ones aren't either in their own extreme ways but he lets he takes it he's like a little brother that everyone beats up and he never punches back that's why we love him. it was interesting that uh, there's later reference talking about his father being the terminator which translates to maybe a really good hitman and that he was brought into this life by his father it's insinuated and if his father was the terminator you would expect bobby to be equally as ruthless and he's one of the more soft-spoken human characters out of that that family. Yeah, Vic, you said it best. If if he wasn't probably perhaps forced into this life, he probably would have gone into a different line of work because his personality and and temperament just doesn't suit this violent lifestyle. And we'll see later on that he has an affinity for hunting. Yeah, but if I recall, it's only for sport. Yeah, right? yeah. it's not for. Yeah, no, he's an interesting character. This is kind of like a silly, very podcasty kind of listicle question, but where does he rank? It's, for me, I'll speak first. He, he's a significant character, and I, over the years, I've really, I'm really fond of him. Like, I, I really like him. I think it's almost impossible to rank characters. Yeah, we've we've done like these ask anything things on Instagram, and that's the question that pops up the most. And it's Im- impossible. Obviously, you know, there's some favorites like Silvio and and Polly and easy guys to name like that. But let me let me re- let me rephrase yeah. it. He's essential to the show now. In only one episode, we know what's going to happen, how this is all going to go out. But sure. he's become an essential piece of the show, which is something that you can't say about every character in the well, show. Well, I, th- I think he has some of some of the best lines. Yeah. Some of the most memorable. Dumb they are, but some of the, the, the best lines, starting with, to the victor, belongs the spoils. I'm just misquoting that. Is it, though? Is it, it's, it's, it's to no, the victor the, goes the yes, spoils? Yes, He says it wrong. He does say it wrong? Yeah, he does. There's a little bit. I didn't want to like say it de facto, but there's there's three ways to say it, and there's I couldn't find the estab like the official way. I don't think goes. I did. You did. Oh, here we go. Okay. <laughs> the term was derived from the phrase "to the victor belongs the spoils" by New York Senator William L. Marcy, and it's referring to William Learned. So Marcy. it is belongs the spoils. Yeah, it, it's referring to the victory of Andrew Jackson in the election of 1828 with the term spoils meaning good or benefits taken from the loser in a competition, election, or military victory. And it goes even further. There's a political cartoon uh, that, if you look it up, where it's the statue of someone uh, sitting on top of a giant pig, which ties into your your background of 
the pigs. Those, scene. those dead pigs. So, so he did you, say it right? And are you saying Bobby Bacala is smarter than me? He did say it right. I think there's three established ways to say it now, and the more modern way to say it is so the victor goes to spoils. Yeah. Either way, they were like, get the, I mean, yeah, the, Tony's they don't want to hear his, you know, his high intellect. Take your quotations book yeah. and shove it up your fat fucking ass. Yeah. Okay. So good. Great moment, great line. Um, the thing that struck me with Bobby, though, was his confidence. He stood up to Tony in the first 10 seconds that we are in, we are experiencing him. He basically says, I don't think you got reason to talk to me this way. I always liked you. Bullshit. That was bold, given where he was, given the stakes of what he knew could happen. Um, I respect him for that. And then later, hmm. we see, I'm going to point this out. I might have talked to one of you about this. I, I can't remember. But the camera orbiting the head mm -hmm. uh, sequence has only happened with Tony so far. But in this episode, Bobby gets the camera orbiting his head treatment. And to me, that's not insignificant. That is the show, that is the creators attributing some level of hierarchy on Bobby. You don't, because you don't think that was just his gravitational pull? <laughs> hey, man, it very well could have been. But, he, but his gravitational pull is fake, right? Because you know, we all know that he's a slender 34-30 waistline, okay? I just think that that moment when I'm watching that sequence happen, then he spits... Fat fuck. Should look in the mirror sometime, you insensitive cocksucker. We haven't heard any, we haven't heard Silvio say something like that. We haven't heard Polly say something like that. We haven't heard Big Puss, even when Big Puss was sitting with his fed guy Skip, he doesn't, he says some stuff about Tony later, but in this moment, he's very respectful and deferential to Tony, but right out, right out well, of the gates, Bobby's like, fuck you. I, I, well, first, if there's one thing that I don't get, from Bobby, it's confidence. Really? Yeah. I agree. Yeah. I don't get that I, at all. I take what you said first as more of an excuse. Like, yeah, yeah defending. This you. isn't, I didn't sign up for this, man. Like, you don't think Sopranos Home Movies was confident? Well, that, well, that was later. That was the buildup of him being so reserved and repressing yeah, anything that would stand heard. up to somebody that's above him. That was him repressing that and then letting it all out. Um, I think, and he even mentions it, he's he's shy. He's not somebody who's just going to come out and say what's on his mind and be super forthright. He's going to be really reserved and calculated and make sure he doesn't ruffle any feathers with anything he says. And that's that's exactly what he was trying to do in that initial scene of his. And who cares what people say if they can't say it to your face? Like, if you judge confidence off of yelling some expletive as Tony drives away, I'd... I don't think that's really ballsy by Bobby. But he says it to his face in Satrials too. Like, I don't think you should be disrespecting me. That's confident. No? With his hands up, though. Like, yeah, don't hey. look down. Yeah, they, look, the, the, he tells, Tony tells him to look when, I, look at me when I'm talking to you. Yeah. But Well, um, it took me a second to realize what he mentioned because when he talks to Junior, when Tony talks to Junior in, in jail and says, and tell Bobby to come out of his mouse hole. Your calzone with legs. You're yeah. assuming that Bobby was hiding from Tony because... Yeah. He didn't want to die, just like uh, Gigi had come out of hiding. So, I don't know. I think Bobby was just looking out for number one at that point. Okay, you guys were playing Duck Hunt, and you guys shot down all my ducks. I think Bobby's okay. confident. I just think he's like a little brother, where yeah. we, we're starting to start to see all his rebuttals, but just to himself. And then, it, like he says, it starts to build, and then it starts to come out more to the people's face in you know violence or words directly to them. Yeah. But to me, he's like Tony's little brother. I see it, as, I think what the, my definition of confidence is in this context is that throughout the show, he always speaks truth to power. And what I mean by that is, he doesn't just go with whatever you want. Like even with Junior, it was this very simple, innocuous thing where he's asking him about the glasses. He was disagreeable. He's, dis, he's not a yes man. Yeah. He's a yes man, but he will... He will he will say like he will say what's what he thinks totally. and and in in my in my opinion that is demonstrative of confidence. It might not be confident. I see that. I get what that. What was his disagreement with Junior in this episode? Junior was he was asking him about the glasses. Oh, he was like, was the glasses the... are fine. Oh, and then okay. and then the joke. Junior gives him a joke and he expected he expected Bobby <sighs> to fall out of his chair laughing. He's like, yeah. I, Junior was like, eh. I just, no, I just Bobby's like, I get he's it. Yeah. Not the brightest it. and just didn't get it. That's what I took from it. He's not the sharpest tool in the shed. So. That line just went way over his head. Bob, I was to Bob. Bobby's not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I think too that Tony, from this point on, 
thinks that he has one up on Bobby because he let him live and that Bobby should be so thankful. Yeah, that's and, a great point. Yeah, and really you don't point. really see him show any true respect to Bobby until very later on when it's because of the time and effort that he's put in for the family and Junior. And, and that, that ends real quick. Yeah. That's all I have, I think. Um, I wanted to shout out the two songs that I loved. Mm. Naya mentioned Mother and Child by Paul Simon, which was great. Number one, and then the last song, the end credits, "Good Night, My Love," Ella Fitzgerald, which was a nice little, so beautiful. Very, it was. A, I'm gonna say it. It might be an inappropriate word, but I think it. I think it's kind of works. It was a romantic moment between between Tony and Junior. They had like a, they they, they fell in love with each other loving. again. Yeah, loving. it was a loving moment. Yeah. Romantic. <laughs> romantic is the wrong word. All right, take that back. Um, two questions I had that were miscellaneous. I guess this one might be for the group, but maybe Naya might speak to this a little bit, but I was kind of surprised and I'm curious about your thoughts on Carmela threading her own eyebrows. She doesn't send out for that? One, she was plucking. Yeah. Come on, Vic. Tweezers. My bad. Two, I think she doesn't tweeze her own eyebrows, but she'll tweeze a few strays if she notices them because I couldn't tell, but it didn't seem like she was in her bathroom. She was doing that at another mirror in a different bathroom. So, like, sometimes girls will get really neurotic, and, like, if they see one, they have to run and go grab their tweezer and just grab it. And she's so meticulous that she had to do it. But, she looked meticulous in that scene. For somebody who yeah. was planning on staying in, Yeah, she looked like a, like a million dollars. She was tweezing the stray hairs. The next question I have about her is, can you, can you speak to her neck jewelry? Is that common? It's all multiple, the ch- all it's the layered. Yeah. yeah, it's like an, it's the whole Italian. I don't have all mine on because they get tangled. But you have like your saint. You have the cross. She has some diamonds. She has another chain. It's bling. It's like gaudy okay. bling. To your point of staying in, I was trying to think like Vic and what is she wearing? She was wearing black and white striped uh, blouse, like a mm. prison outfit, like oh. that stereotypical. Wow. Uh, yeah. Holy well, fucking well shit, John. Yeah. She's a prisoner. <laughs> If this mic wasn't on the stand, I would have dropped it for you. (laughs) Dude! But her hair was immaculate. I know. She looks like... She She even quaffs it as she's walking away. She looked amazing. Wow, she's a prisoner in her own fucking house. That's that's some profound shit. It's dark. (laughs) You just earned your stripes tonight, my friend. Fucking A, man. That is impressive. Yeah, no, it's very true. Look, the fashion and the and the way they look not only is it interesting to me because they're they're constantly showing it, but I also want to know like where it comes from and and the significance behind it. And and wearing that jewelry is it's whether very you're traditional. Home, you don't take it off. Like in the morning when you does she take it off when she goes to sleep? She probably night? takes off the like diamonds or the expensive ones, but she'll always keep the chain with the cross and the saint on it. Mm-hmm. Stuff like that. Also, like Janice wears an anklet. We see her ankles a lot because she's got these cute little skinny ankles. And like anklets. Janice? Yeah. Anklets usually represent like a sleazy lady, like a toe <laughs> ring or any sort of foot like jewelry. A tramp stamp? A little yeah, bit. Lookout. Yeah. Like, like a little hippie, loose lady. And she what definitely. About toe, has, do you, toe rings that fit in that rubric? Slutty. Can we sell merch on yeah, uh, some, Pot of Bings? Yes, Janice, toe rings. Some Janice, Janice <laughs> Some Janice toe rings. I would definitely buy that crystal. Um, AJ's pants, you guys. This is like the fashion corner, I guess. These are my miscellaneous questions. They're all fashion related. Do you guys remember when... Are you guys old enough to... Are you guys... Saggy pants? Do you remember when sagging was cool? Was sagging ever cool yeah. when it's you guys were growing still, up? People, I see it yeah, still. It's 2010 crazy. Bieber. That degree, though? Old man Vic. <laughs> I know, I'm old. I'm I have old a question about AJ. Damn pants. I'm old as fuck. I'm like, Vic, I'm like, Vic Cosby. I'm like Clint Eastwood. Get off my lawn. <laughs> this is embarrassing. But like, no, I, I was in the sagging era, but like, crisscross, you know, jump, era. jump, you know, crisscross will make you better. Sagging like, sounds horrible. Sagging, sagging era. I feel like it died. No, it, 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 is, it has been back. I've had some thoughts about AJ for this episode for some strange reason. Because as we know, he starts to have like very thoughtful, sensitive, environmental feelings sometimes like he's actually quite sensitive but then he like has all this repressed anger and he's lazy but it's weird to see him eavesdropping on his conversation with his dad and his aunt and then when he's talking to his grandma he says he doesn't like the candy but then we see him eat it like there's just something brewing in him that I feel like they we see a little and I don't know what do you think's brewing in him 
I don't know, I guess puberty a little bit, but... We see in the very beginning we, him combing his hair. He's, like, yeah. paying particular attention to the part in his but hair. But why does he eat the candy? Am I am I reaching and he's just, like, a little fat kid? No, that's just, just Livia pushing it on yeah. him. Because he's saying, I don't like those things. Just go ahead and eat it. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's just, just, just listening to his grandma. Son and mother, it's all... It was, like, uh, I think last week we talked about how Meadow's little scene was really insignificant and it seemed forced. And I definitely feel like these characters aren't fleshed out. Yeah. The kids. The kids. And yeah, the kids are finding their way to figure out how to get them involved. And obviously their plot yeah. lines continue on, but... Yeah, because they grew up throughout the show. Yeah. yeah. They're, they're with but us. he's scooping ice cream like Tony. Like, to me, it was a reflection very small scoops, of the, the mother and son thing. And, you know, AJ's Tony's son. It's like this, the legacy thing. I don't know. Eat the candy. Yeah. It Didn't was even wash his hands. Tony was sitting on the couch... And who was he talking to where AJ was listening? He was Janice about the DNR. Mm, yeah. But you have a kid. I mean, that not that just something you learn really quick is everything you say will be heard and yeah. repeated? Oh, hell yeah. yeah. Especially now. I would never. I mean, I, that's, what, that's, what, that's why I would just go down to the basement. Or like even uh, uh, tomorrow I have a call scheduled and I'm going to be home for that call and I'm planning on literally going in my backyard, we have like another structure. I'm going in there and I'm locking the door so that he can't come in. And but you just have to you have to plan for those contingencies. I would never talk about <clears> this <throat> stuff. But Tony, Tony lets his guard down at home quite a bit. Yeah. You know. So, anything else? Any last minute thoughts about this? Yeah. Uh, there's there's one thing. Okay. Car- Livia calls the house and yeah. Carmela picks up and they talk for a second. And Carmela's just trying to get off the phone. But Livia starts one last line that she doesn't get to finish. And it's, if anything happens to me, and then she gets hung up on. And we hear so much about Livia having this this fortune that's buried somewhere, hidden somewhere in the house. Do you think that that's the time when she was about to spill the beans? In her house or Tony's house? In her, her house. house. In her house. Because in, in later episodes, we see that Janice is digging in through the basement and and trying to find stuff. I'm and Junior makes a reference to Livia being like a woman who cries for for being hungry but has a Virginia ham, you know, on her arm. So I, I think that maybe this is the point where she doesn't want Janice to have whatever she has hidden, and she's about to like tell somebody, and then she gets she hangs up on it. I I don't know what where she's gonna go with this because she says if anything happens to me, where are you going with this? I just want to know if do you guys what do you guys think that she was trying to say? She says, if anything happens to me, is she going to talk about the do not resuscitate? Is she going to where the money's hidden? Well, that's what I'm thinking. Do you guys think she has a stash? I do. I do. You do. I think she shaves it. How much are we talking about here? Like consequential amounts of money? Forty thousand. Forty thousand. Johnny Boy's legacy. And enough. To, enough. Feeder. Enough to buy a, a certain uh, doll from yeah. a certain a bird feeder merchant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I loved the scene. We, we didn't talk about it, or we talked about the scene, but not w- how quickly Olivia wanted to go back to Green Grove. Yeah. That was like, I felt so much frustration at because, like, Tony has been trying to convince her for so long. Yeah. Like, and she was like, no, I think well, she, I'll go back to Green Grove. She liked the country she, club aspect of it. She liked it at the end. Even Tony, like, came to visit and says, your, uh, your mother is really starting to be taken with, with these classes. She was doing, like, a, a jazzercise or swimming yeah. class of some sort. I she was really to, getting into it. I think to your point, the reason that she didn't like it was to just because she knew that Tony liked it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She, she wanted to be a contrarian. But when you are faced with your options, do I go back to that shitty box or do I go to a country club with fresh towels every day? Yeah. You're going to pick the place where you can... She probably had a lot of fun there socializing. But the thing that didn't get fleshed out in this scene that you're talking about is the fact, the notion that Tony was not going to pay for it anymore. Yeah. And Livia kind of... She felt entitled to it almost, but also she didn't really understand the economic ramifications of it. Like if she knew that it was like five Gs a month, maybe she would have sung a different tune. Exactly. That's that's, that's an enormous amount of money. What? No, I think it was like it was five, five G's a month. It was five, we four or five. We later find out that Polly puts it in his mother in the same place, and I think he mentions a higher number. I'm going to go back. To Inflation. This. Oh, I don't think it's that much time has passed. There's that. <laughs> this is really off topic, but not really. There's that. Have you guys seen that really sad commercial where the son wants to put his dad in a retirement home, and this this dad doesn't want to go, so the kid decides to like build a garage house for us. I cry every time. It's awful, but it. 
Never mind. It's slightly on topic. I only watch HBO. I don't know what commercials are. It's uh, it's for some like home insurance. But it, but reminded, it, it me reminded me of the, the Sopranos and like yeah. like Carmela watching the dog commercial where she cried. Like what's or wrong? The, with the, me? You know the scene what's coming up where Carmela like thinks she sees AJ and she screams to him like his riding the tricycle. Yeah. That's kind of emotional. The passage of time. Her face when Tony makes that dig at Janice at the dinner table is pretty priceless, too. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's going to be... That's coming up tonight on the gram. Yeah, I, have a, I already have a caption for it. Her dinner... Her restraint in not saying what she wants to say is impressive. You know, we were talking about this off mic Carmella? earlier. Yeah, Carmela. She she holds it back, but she's a, she's a shock caller, man. She's a hashtag shock caller. Well, she's been to that type of dinner countless times and is just a notch above everyone and what to say and what not to say. We need to find a way to talk about her more now. I think it's, it's, it's starting, I feel yeah. I could talk about of, her all day long. We yeah, could talk one of about the her. things, if nothing else, we'll, f- well, we'll force it and we'll have a Carmela, we'll have a Carmela corner. But she's, um, I mean, she f- affects everyone. Like age, even the conversation with him and Meadow, like got a little trust in this family, like check the mileage, yeah. but also her restraint with them in that scene. I just had two technical things. Yeah. One was an error. The scene where Tony and Bobby are talking at the Suburban, There's, it's really hard to spot, but one of my friends is a DP, and sometimes he watches it with me, and we'll be like, oh, there's a reflector. And on the Suburban, there's these two like bars of light where you could mistake it for the sun hitting the car, but they're actually, you know, those big like tinfoil reflecting things? Yeah. They had those so hot that you could see the reflection on the car, which I thought was crazy that... They didn't fix it. And then the scene when Janice and Tony are talking by the pool, they it's almost like it cuts where we're in we would be in the middle of the pool looking back at them. And I was like, how did you how did they get that shot? Were they in the pool shooting out? And I guess they make a rig where they put the camera on the bottom of the mount of the mount. So the camera is like flipped backwards. So it's literally like right on the top of the pool. So we had that perspective Mm. like that, which I was like, whoa. Like a crazy rig for a Three-second shot. A basic shot. Yeah. Which is interesting. Yeah. That's all I had. All right. Well, it's been a pleasure, guys. Justin, do we have you next week, too? Yep. Okay, so next week, we're, we're going to be back. We're, we're doing Monday. What's so our next episode? To episode three. Three. That's um, Toodle fucking <gasps> ooh. We're going to be meeting... One of my we're favorites. Gonna be Richie. Yep. We're going to be introduced to Richie. And the story... I think it's safe the to jacket. say that the story is going to go off the fucking rails now. Like now, now, now the rhythm, now that like the, the game plan, I'm going to get my NBA reference in. Like we're going to know who this team is. Okay. We're going to know what the show is when we inter- were introduced to Richie. There's going to be, it's going to become a theme. It's going to become, it's going to become like, it's going to become like a clinic, right? It's going to be like, this is, this is it. Um, I'm excited. Wait. There's oh, a yeah. lot of, there's a lot of new introductions coming. There's a lot of shit about to go down. So we'll see you next week, Justin. Yep. We'll see the rest of you next week. Thank it's you. been real. Stick your quotations book up your fat fucking ass.